We're in John 15 this month. We're looking at abiding practices. These are also known as spiritual disciplines, but we're calling them abiding practices due to the fact that uh, the, the dominant metaphor or, or analogy, word picture Jesus uses is the vine and the branches. And we, we come now to two weeks in prayer, praying as an abiding practice. We've talked about listening. We've talked about fasting. We've talked about confessing. And now we're going to spend two weeks with praying. Two weeks in these verses, Chris just read to us verses 7 through 12, and then he moved down to verses 16 and 17. And the reason we're talking about praying is because uh, verses 7 and 16, as you're looking at the text of John 15, if you'll notice that in both in verse 7 and 16, Jesus makes praying an abiding practice, but says that we can ask him for whatever we wish. Is it really this open-ended? Whatever we wish? See, a lot of us, we read this and we want to set immediately some limits on whatever, right out of the gate, lest we commit prosperity theology. Well, you know, he doesn't actually mean whatever we wish. Like, you shouldn't ask him for a million dollars, you know. It's got to be in keeping with his will. And while that is true, it does not mean we cannot ask for whatever we wish. Because Jesus says here, we can and that we should. And the reason he said this, the reason he made it as open-ended is not just because he's a great God who, for whom nothing is too difficult, but also because Jesus knows what will happen to our praying when our praying is an abiding practice. What happens to us in abiding is we come to seek God more for himself than the thing that we are seeking from him. And this, Jesus knows, will happen to us in abiding prayer. And so he's not worried about what you ask for. He doesn't impose limits on the, on the whatever. Of course, there's an in keeping with his will aspect. But he says, whatever we wish, bring it to me. Bring it to my Father through the Spirit. This week and next, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about not just what happens to us in abiding where prayer is concerned, that we come to seek God more for himself than the thing we're seeking from him, but we're also going to talk about how God cultivates us for this because the imagery that we have in this chapter is cultivation imagery. But we really need to be staggered by this. I mean, you read verse 7. You read verse 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Get used to being listened to by God. That's a pretty incredible thing to say. We're used to it. We get somewhat inoculated to it, living and moving and having our being where we do. But getting used to being listened to by God, it's not just the benefit of the kind of relationship he has established with us in Jesus. You caught it there in verse 16. You did not choose me, but, but I chose you. He's the initiator and the sustainer. We're the response. It's not just due to this. It's also because of what happens to us in the practice of prayer as abiding. Jesus, because of what happens to us in abiding prayer, Jesus isn't worried that we're going to ask the wrong thing. In fact, he once told a story to remove that very worry from us. The worry we have, really I have two worries. One is that God isn't listening. 
He doesn't, have, he doesn't care what I'm saying. This is, not, this is not getting past the ceiling. It's hardly getting past my, uh, the, the extent of my breath out of my mouth. Jesus told a story to say to us, uh, not just that to dispel the worry that God might not listen to us, or that we might pray the wrong thing. That's our other worry. And God will give it to us. Well, you asked for it. Jesus told a story about two neighbors. Remember this story? It's called The Friend at Midnight. He tells a story about two neighbors, one of whom receives late-night guests in that culture. You put food in front of people at whatever hour they arrived. But the one receiving guests in Jesus' story is low on provisions, and so they go next door to be helped by the neighbors. And that was a very common practice. And in fact, in a shame-honor culture such as Jesus was operating in, in his original context, it was very shameful to not help your neighbors. And so Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. He says, if, it's, if, it's de- if you can depend on your neighbor to help you, even if you go to them their door at midnight to, to put something before uh, your guests because the reputation of your community is at stake... How much more your heavenly father? How much more honorable is your heavenly father than your neighbor? And how much more meaningful are we to him? That's the gist of the prayer instruction that he gives. You don't have to worry that God isn't hearing you. Nor do you have to worry if it turns out you're asking for the wrong thing that he'll give it to you because that's not what good fathers do with their children. So what does Jesus say when he tells that story? It's in Luke 11 where he tells the story. He says, ask, seek, knock, ask and receive, seek and find, knock and the door will be open to you. He's open-ended. That's Jesus' teaching on prayer. It's pretty wide open. Yes, we pray in accordance with his will. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. But Jesus isn't worried that we're going to pray the wrong thing. And so you and I don't need to be either. And this is exactly why he's wide open with us. Whatever we wish, he says in John 15. The reason is because we're entrusting our request to a good father. Jesus knows what happens to our praying when we abide in him and his goodness. You want to ask God for a million dollars? Go ahead, ask him. You can ask him for whatever you wish, but here's what Jesus knows and what we come to know, learning it from him as we abide in him. We come to learn that prayer, making our request to God, prayer is about wish cultivation more than wish fulfillment. Wishing, see the word in verse 7? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What is wishing? It's the same thing as desiring. To wish is to desire. To desire is to wish. Same thing. This goes back to our study in Romans chapter 6 through 8, where we were just a couple of months ago. In Romans 6 through 8, I tried to establish for you in in a passage we were in there that our having desires is not wrong. Having desires is not sinful. It's fundamental to being human to have desires. And what happens in maturity in Christ, abiding in him, obeying from the heart, it doesn't require our getting rid of our desires. What abiding requires is that our desires get cultivated. Enter the analogy here in John 15. That uh, like branches on a vine get cultivated, tended to, pruned 
in the terms of John 15 here. Cruciformed, if we go back a couple of months to where we were in Romans 6 through 8, shaped by the cross. We're here now in John 15. Why? To apply what we learned a couple of months in Romans 6 through 8. The imagery here in John 15 of the vine and the branches and the vine dresser is about cultivating the branches so that fruit is born from them. That's why the branches are on the vine. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Fruit that lasts, in other words, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The pruning that we've talked about and the trellising that we've talked about it's for bearing fruit, for being useful to God. Now we're going to think about this applied to prayer today and next week. And I want to pose the question, and I'll come back to it. I'll pose it, say some other things, and then come back to this question. How might God cultivate us to seek him? That is, what places, God, what places does God use to cultivate the branches so that we seek for him more than we seek for ourselves. You may want a million dollars. Fine. You may want that girl or that guy. You may want to go to X school. You may want to make the team. You may want to close the deal. You may want to receive healing. You may want to experience reconciliation. And on and, and on and on, all the requests we make of God, whatever we wish, take it all, any and all of it, to him. He's a good father. That means he's trustworthy, and that means that we can entrust our request to him, knowing he knows what to do with this. He knows what not to do with this. He knows what we need and what we don't. But know this about prayer that abides. We come to want more of God for himself in abiding prayer. Not just the things he gives. We need the things he gives. We need to receive from him. And we seek his help and his provision. If you're a person of prayer, there are many things. I, I'm, I'm blessed to have a, a memory etched into my mind of as a little boy going to my grandmother's house in Nashville from North Alabama where we lived and finding her often literally on her knees. I'm not embellishing this. Until she got to her 80s and it was physically impossible for her to get up from that position and she would sit in her chair, I would see her on her knees and she had these old cards, weathered cards, and she had hundreds of names and, and issues and things on her cards. And, and without fail, I never interrupted her. I would get up early. I'm convinced now uh, as a man that God had me get up early as a little boy. There was no reason to. We were on a trip, you know, and to see that. And she would every time say, do you want some oatmeal, honey? And she'd make me oatmeal. She was very concerned about regularity. So she was <laughs> big, big, big into that. My sister always said, I just lie to her when she'd ask, you know. I was like, no, you know, and she'd get the enema out. <laughs> Too much information? Sorry. But, uh, and she'd turn on cartoons for me. Watched a lot of Popeye in my grandmother's living room when I was a little guy. 
But I saw her praying, but I also saw that I never interrupted her. She had an ongoing conversation with God. When her grandson came into the room, it was time to be with him. Well, when you think about abiding prayer, we need things from God. We seek his help in a variety of, uh, of endeavors of life. We need his provision, yes. But I say again, Jesus isn't worried about you asking for a million dollars because he knows to even go seeking that from him. He knows if we start seeking him in prayer, he's going to cultivate us. He's going to cultivate our desires. What happens in abiding prayer is wish cultivation more than wish fulfillment. What am I supposed to desire of you, Lord? What am I supposed to want from you? Would you show me? Would you, would you make, as I've heard somebody pray before, would you make my desires fit your design? How do we know our praying to him, our making requests of him, will undergo cultivation so that I will bear the fruit that Jesus wants to have take shape in and from me? Well, we know this actually from Romans 8. So many times I've, I've seen the connections between Romans 6 through 8 and John 15. I'm, I'm glad that we could come to John 15 after Romans 6 through 8. But let me remind you of what we learned in Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I mean, if we're, if we're a vibrant branch, it's the vine that's strong, not so much the branches. The branches are, you know, but the vine is solid. The vine is strong. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, Romans 8, 26. But if we abide, plugging John 15 into this, what happens in us, what happens for us is we come to desire greater fruitfulness. We desire that. As we abide, we desire to be useful to God in keeping with his designs and purposes, even where we find this difficult and we feel like we're a misfit at first to this, or I, I don't know what I'm doing, or if I'm doing this right, or, or is this what you want or, or, or not, etc. and so on. There's, there's a lot of things to work out in this. But the basic desire to be useful to God, this is what gets cultivated in us. Romans 8 said so. In fact, Romans 8 goes on to say, the next verse, Romans 8, 27, and he who searches hearts knows what's, what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There it is. According to the will of God. But the Spirit's doing this because a lot of times I don't know what the will of God is, frankly. I have his revealed will in Scripture, ways I'm to conduct myself doctrinally, morally, relationally, but there's other times... Uh, that decisions need to be made. I'm not sure what the will of the Lord is, if, if the Lord has a, a directive will for this decision or not. The Spirit does know, and He searches our hearts, and He, and he knows how to articulate for us what, what is there that we don't know how to find the words for. I, I find this beautiful. I hope this moves you. And if not now, that it will later this is a really staggering thing. We can bring whatever, verses 7 and 16 from John 15, whatever we can bring to God and he'll listen to us. Why? The why is because of this organic imagery in John 15. The vine wants 
its branches. The vine is there for the branches. The vine nourishes the branches. The vine dresser trellises and trims and prunes and, and picks off things in order for us to be more useful to him. That's the analogy more about pruning next week. But he does this as we draw near to him so that we draw near to him and so that we seek him. He cultivates our desires so that we want him. Not just that we make a little room for him, but that he is the room, that we desire him. And then, and then our, our, our desires get ordered around who he has promised to be for us in Jesus. He cultivates our desires so that we want him. The vine, the vine is there to support the branches, to feed and develop for ripeness, for fruitfulness. This is God's will. It's an interesting analogy or imagery, I should say, that he's using. Looking at John 15, go back up to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Go back up to verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And we saw three weeks ago now when we were in that uh, first six verses, we saw the grace of the Lord is so evident that you're, you're cut either way. Remember we talked about if you're, if you're fruitful, he prunes, little suckers and things grow on the branch and need to be pruned off, little preoccupations we have, little desires that need to be reordered, things uh, that can be even more than that, uh, uh, things that we, we may need to undergo in order to develop our faith. We talked about this, fruitful vines get pruned, Unfruitful vines get trellised. I won't go back through uh, how I made that case, but, but it seems the best way to take the imagery is it, it, it gets trellised, the unfruitful vine, in order for it to have the opportunity to be fruitful. It's really very gracious of God to do this. This is all moving back a little bit in where we covered in verses 1 through 6. It, it's a shame this passage, verses 1 through 6, is, is often been treated as be fruitful or else, you know. I mean, they're, they're in Christ, there they're really is no or else for those in Christ. Don't worry that God will not receive from you what he's after from you. If you're seeking him, even your desire to please him pleases him. Even if that's where we begin. God has begun in a lot of varied places with people and is moving us along. And don't worry that you're asking for the wrong things, as already mentioned. And he may give them to you because, well, you asked for it, so boom, there it is. That's not how a good father does. He's not that kind of father. Don't worry that God will not receive from us what he wants. Don't worry that God will not accomplish his way and his will in those who are seeking him for this. If you seek him for this, you will find him for that. He is always teaching. He is always developing. He is always gracious. This is an organic imagery. It's living. It keeps going. It's perennial. He's long-suffering and patient. He is a relentless vine dresser. He doesn't give up. Ask him for a million dollars. Make that your passionate request and he will meet you right there in order to show you he is more valuable still you see how he does that he doesn't come smack you stupid asking for a million dollars 
What kind of idiot are you? I tell you, you want a million dollars? I tell you what you want more. What you want more is ultimate value. And you, and, and listen, I I've know uh, a number of people with a million dollars, and they will tell you uh, that um, ultimate value is not found there. Ultimate value is found in a relationship with a living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if he isn't enough for you, nothing here will be. Nothing. Because if you spend a lot of time asking for self-beholding things, here's why Jesus isn't worried about what we ask for. It's why he leaves the door wide open. If you spend a lot of time asking for self-beholding things, stuff just to spend on yourself, you are ripe for God to do a renewing work in you. You might as well have your hand up saying, hey, Lord, I want to be, be pruned. I'd like to be worked on. Okay? If you're bringing a bunch of superfluous prayer requests to him, <laughs> that's a good thing because he's going he's gonna to meet you there. And he's going to, as a vine dresser, not as somebody who's heavy-handed, but as a vine dresser, he's going to come and he's going he's gonna to pick up that vine tenderly and he's going to start working with you right there. So you want a million dollars, do you? <laughs> well, Maybe I can entrust a million dollars to you, but maybe what you really want is to know that I am of inestimable value to you, the Lord Jesus. The vine is there to support the branches, to bear fruit. Look again at it, verse 7. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, be done for you, verse 16. You didn't choose me, I chose you, appointed you, go bear fruit, fruit should abide. So that whatever, here it is again, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We wrestle with this. Because we've all had the experience, if we've been praying, we've all had the experience of asking God and asking God and asking God for certain things. And we think, I can't imagine this wouldn't be your will. And it may not be that it's that. It just, it, it just may be that the process is important, more so than we give credit to. We, we want results. We're results-oriented. God is much more process-oriented than us. Don't hear process theology in that, if you know what that is. I'm not, I'm not, I don't ascribe to that. But God is, is, is oriented toward the process, and, and, and that's, what, that, that's what organic imagery is about. It's about growth. It's not a, it's not a chia imagery, okay? You know, water it, and boom, you got the little, the little, the little chia pet. All this growth, you know? It's, it's, it takes a while to develop the vineyard. And, and so God is selling, telling us something about his character and his goodness as he, as he takes us through this. Whatever you ask the Father, in my name. Now, a lot of people love to camp on that. And, and in my name is sort of like the signature on the document to be legitimate. You know, this is the, the procedural for prayer. You've got to make sure you, you, you ask in his name or, or it won't happen. And, but the in my name here is emphasizing relationship. It's emphasizing that we have a relationship with God the Father through God the Son, sustained by God the Spirit, which means we never pray alone, right? Right. What do you mean by never pray alone? Is it because we're branches on the vine and all the branches are... Well, that, that's part of it. You should pray in community. We should pray together. It's, it's a blessing. I was in a class this morning. It's a blessing to see uh, the classes in our church praying together. That's important. But this uh, never praying alone because of the ministry of God to us that we saw back in, in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings to do for us. You're never praying alone. 
He's always with you. Every time you say the name uh, of, of God in prayer, the Spirit is tuned. He who searches hearts knows what's the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We never pray alone. But now, I asked a question earlier, and I said I would table it, and here it is again. Uh, let's, take some, let's get some takeaways, okay? The question had to do with how God cultivates us. The imagery is cultivation imagery. Prayer is a big part of that. But how does God get us to pray? You know, for some of us, it, it maybe comes natural, and that's a good thing. Be, be thankful. But a lot of us, boy, it, it doesn't. And, and even if it does, we still find it to be kind of a work. So how does God cultivate us? What places does God meet us in? What places does God use to cultivate us to seek him for himself? Because seeking him for himself, more than the things we need from him, and we need a lot of things from him, and we bring a lot of things to him, but seeking him for himself is really at the center of abiding. It yields the obedience of love. Let me give us two places God meets us and develops our prayer practice in and from. One of these places we'll take today, and the other place we'll come back to next week. Two places I'll suggest this week and next. One is the place of suffering. This is how, this is where God cultivates our prayerful response to him. He does it in the place of suffering. We'll talk about that today. And then next week, we're going to talk about the other side, and that's success. Actually, when you succeed, because what, is the, what does the scripture tell us? Those that are fruitful, he prunes. Those who are fruitful are obedient. They're having success. They're, they're doing some things right, and they can expect pruning. We'll come into that next week. But God uses these places, meets us in these places to develop our prayer practice. He meets us in suffering and develops us from it, in it and from it. And he meets us in success and develops us from it. Suffering and success both to turn us to praying, to turn us to himself. Today, suffering, next Sunday, we'll get to success. So in the time I've got left, how does God use the place of suffering to cultivate our desire for him, not just forgetting what we want from him. You understand the question? How does God use the place of suffering to cultivate us to pray? How does God use suffering to, to yield uh, greater fruitfulness from us, this, fruitful, this, this abiding practice of praying that we draw near to him? One of the books... I read this year, this weekend I've been working on my books list. You know, if you follow the newsletter every year at December is a little article of the books I've read. And there's always a varied response to that. I can't believe you read that book. Or uh, that's the greatest thing I've, I've ever heard. You recommend it. And so I just, I've gotten used to it after a while now. It's just like, you know, I, uh, it's, it's the list that it is. And it's, I, I feel like pilot sometimes. I have written what I have written, you know. And that's just, just kind of what it is. Um, one of the books I read this year is called uh, Even in Our Darkness, a, a Story of Beauty in a Broken Life. It's by the theologian Jack Deere. Uh, I don't know if a lot of you will know the name Jack Deere, but Jack Deere was once a professor at my seminary. I've been to two seminaries, uh, Dallas and uh, Beeson, and when I was at Dallas, uh, Jack Deere had just left when I got to Dallas Seminary. He was no longer there. And I'm sorry he wasn't because he was a fine theologian. Uh, I would have liked to, to learn from him. 
But what I wouldn't have known back then, and, and couldn't have really appreciated then anyway, and these things he writes about, the transparency, his memoirs, even in our darkness, uh, these things had not yet unfolded in his life when he was uh, at Dallas. But his, his memoirs, I said, it's very transparent. Jack Deere has, has still living. He's, he's led a very fruitful life for the Lord. He's been greatly used, and he still is today. But that abiding fruitfulness has come from having to seek the Lord in excruciating things. Jack Deere went through some vocational reversals, situations that turned on him. He was a sought-after guy, and then he wasn't. And then he was, and then he wasn't. Uh, he had a son commit suicide in his son's bedroom. His wife's resulting alcoholism in dealing with the fallout of that. Toward the end of the book, this is what Jack Deere writes. His words, when I lusted after material wealth, he, the Spirit of God, turned my gaze toward eternity. When I sought large crowds, he brought me humility. When I tried to change my wife, he taught me how to love and understand her. What I really needed all along more than anything was to see myself through his eyes. That's his life lesson. What I really needed more than anything was to see myself through his eyes. Now, I'm sure to some that sounds super spiritual. How do I do that? I, don't, I mean, that sounds good in church, but what does that really look like? But when you go through sufferings, you know. You go through loss. You go through intense loneliness. Let's just, let's just put it in those two camps of suffering. Loss, loss has suffered. Loneliness suffered. And loneliness, not because you're uncoordinated socially, but because you have a longing the crowd can't satisfy. Someone has said there's two ways to be alone, solitude and loneliness, and that solitude is the glory of being alone. You seek solitude, and loneliness is the agony of being alone. Two ways to be alone. I think that's, that's, that's well said. But the wonderfully social can still experience times of loneliness, and when you're in that agony when, or when you're suffering loss of some kind, God draws us in. He draws us close, closer to him through those times, in those times, even if you can't plot it or chart it yet, even if you don't know, can't recognize it, can't see it, don't know what's going on. Right now I'm just in the story and I don't really know where this is headed. But you'll look back at some point and you might see, I'm not guaranteeing this, but you might see if you sought him through that, he was there. And you gained some strength and some, some repertoire that you didn't have before. You wouldn't want to go back through it, but you wouldn't give it up. When Jack Deere writes, what I, needed, what I really needed all along, more than anything, was to see myself through his eyes, he is saying, in other words... God used the place of suffering to cultivate, and this was in a theologian of some renown, a guy who could read John 15 in Greek. God used the place of suffering to cultivate him to seek God for God so that now at the, toward the end of his life, with all this experience and all these life uh, experiences, uh, what is most precious to him is that he seeks God for God more than the things he wants or even needs God to do for us. And we all have things we want and need him to do. Even in our darkness, God is cultivating us, even especially there. You know, it was about to go dark in John 15. 
you realize where we are when we're in John 15. The next day after these words were spoken by Jesus, he's going to experience the ultimate in suffering. The ultimate in loneliness and loss. And, and by this, I don't just mean the physical agony of crucifixion. That's part of it, horrible way to die. But the suffering that was the separation between the Father and the Son, Jesus knew this was ahead of him on the cross, that the Son would be treated by the judge of all the earth, his Father, as if he was guilty. The Son was guilty of, of everything wrong, everything disordered, everything humiliating, uh, all of it, everything contemptible, everything that, that the wrath of God aims at human beings for our wholesale violations and vandalizing of his shalom. We talked about that in Romans, that shalom is his design and purposes for flourishing. It was all going to land on Jesus. Jesus was going to a place of suffering the next day. After he says these things in John 15, he's headed there and he knows it. But his men were also about to undergo excruciating loss of his daily company and his physical presence with them they were about to undergo confusion and despair and and cowardice and loneliness he was going to feel lonely even among 11 close men is it any wonder when we think about how God uses that is it any wonder how often we find themselves after Jesus leaves giving themselves to prayer over and over and over again it's all through the book of acts and even jesus last act with his men was what praying john 17 and then his prayers in the garden what is that it's abiding it's drawing near to god for god himself the testimony of scripture and our savior is that god uses suffering places like loneliness and loss to cultivate us to seek him for himself more than whatever else we go seeking from him it's not, it's not that he brings these things into our lives so that we'll do that I'm not I'm not making that connection I'm saying that's what happens in those things that you can't prevent that you wish didn't happen but do and and God meets you in those times if he doesn't if he doesn't prevent them and there's a thousand things he's prevented from you, you don't even know he's prevented there's healings you've undergone and you didn't even know you were being healed there's there's wrecks you avoided and you didn't even know what was coming around that that bend there's there's viruses you've been near to uh, within a mold spore of and you didn't get it because God prevented that but then some things do happen and it's not so that you'll learn some great lesson, but it's so that your presence to God and his presence to you is experienced in a way for your greater usefulness. Not so that, but that it happens. Drawing near to God for himself, the, the abiding practice of prayer is that God is seeking to cultivate us for himself to want him for him more than all the other things that we want. I've experienced this from my college days up to the present. It's good that I started experiencing it in college because ministry can be a lonely occupation at times. I don't say that for, for sympathy. But, you know, um, even though I'm surrounded by people, sometimes you feel alone. But I look back at myself in college and I see a fraternity and I see a campus ministry and I see a team, cross-country team. I was on uh, 
Uh, and with a lot of people, I, I, I knew and was known by a lot of people that I'm enjoyed. Do you know that I'm in the Hall of Fame at my alma mater? I actually am. Not athletically, it's, a, it's even better. It's total campus involvement, right? So. What's the point? The point is I wasn't socially poor. But I began to experience in, in college these intense seasons of loneliness. It wasn't depression. It was just loneliness. And I would seek the Lord in those times. And I, I had opportunities. I had places to go, people to be with. But I, I, would, I would seek the Lord in those lonely times. And, and I could never understand why they were until I got older and realized I was longing for something that the crowd and all my involvements couldn't satisfy. And what I was longing for was God. He was drawing me to himself. I wanted to know him. And that didn't make, you know, I didn't become a loner seeking the Lord. I didn't become antisocial. That's terrible. You know, people do sometimes. They go from one extreme to the next. Balanced people are really the people who are just between the pendulum swing from, from this to this. You know, I made me seek the Lord when I felt loneliness. Inexplicably, I couldn't understand it because I was so socially engaged, but I would seek the Lord in and through those times and then re-engage with people. And I, and I can see now that I was gaining strength in Christ. He was becoming more real to me. My love for him was developing in the preparation for what I do, which requires prayer. It's not because I'm a super Christian. Whatever my gains with God and prayer have come through loneliness and loss. I have theological degrees, and that's good. <laughs> but loneliness and loss and success too, which we'll consider next week, have been much more formative. I doubt without loneliness and loss, I would have cared much for abiding in Christ. So I would never want to go back and repeat times of loneliness and loss, but I'll take nothing for them. What does he say? Verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you. I mean, if I had chosen him, then, then I would have, if, if this was not of grace and of me, then I would, I would, have, I would have an opt-out clause. But if he chose me, if he brought me into this, if it's all of grace, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. And you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And you know, that's the one thing I have found him to be always glad to give is more of himself to the one who seeks him. Because not just in the end, but all along the way, this is what we really want most. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in Christ, and we thank you for how even in prayer, though it is a work and it's challenging and it doesn't come easy to a lot of us, it does feel sometimes like we're talking to the steering wheel. It does feel like we're, we're just uh, speaking words in an empty room. And, Lord, uh, some of us haven't prayed in a long time. We lost heart somewhere back there, and I pray that today's time in this room can be heart regiving and to see you as a welcoming God a God who uh, isn't withholding from us for some kind of spite but there's a process there's growth and and we will we will die with with some things we've wanted and longed for and, and sought after not finished everybody who's ever prayed ardently and earnestly for years when we come to collect 
their effects and we look at their prayer journals, we see things that, that didn't come about. And Lord, we will only know why on the other side. But the faith you're developing in us, the resiliency of trust is that we want to know on that other side. Knowing that even when we get there and find out, it won't really matter. Because we'll be home and we'll be glorified and we'll be more alive than we've ever been. And today we just say that in faith and in hope. But someday we'll say it for sight. We will see the Lord Jesus and we will see the fruit and we will rejoice as we have never known what rejoicing is before. So we thank you for how you cultivate us and even the losses and the lonelinesses. Lord, that if anyone's lonely today, you would turn them to you and give them a friend. But you would also turn them to you. And they would see that they're longing for something in you that they won't find even if they have a thousand friends. There is something we need from you that we can't get from anybody else. And we thank you that it's that way, even though it's difficult at times and it causes us to struggle. Thank you for what you're doing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.